Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's Democratic Party has a new leader. When it comes to fighting utility bills, there's a big power imbalance between customers and companies. Plus, Mississippians are being cautioned to look both ways before crossing railroad tracks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's Democratic Party has appointed a new chair. The leader of the state's Democratic Party delivered a letter of resignation over the weekend. But before that resignation could go into effect, members met last night and voted to oust the former chair, Tyree Irving. Irving has served in the position since 2020. He's stepping down after a harshly worded email he sent to a colleague was published by news outlet Mississippi Today. Sharosky Young is a Democratic candidate for Secretary of State, and he said in a statement last week he believed Irving had undermined democracy. We are part of a ticket that is uh, aiming to make Mississippi better, and uh, I am not running uh, because I'm aiming to be a career politician. I'm not running because uh, no one else wants to or is able to. Um, I'm running because uh, people deserve a protector of their interests. Uh, They deserve a protector of... um, not just their interests, but also how people deserve a defender of their rights and a secure of democracy. We live in a state where we don't have any early voting. No one excuse absentee absences uh, from from voting. Uh, basically, rampant voter purges on our voter purges, uh, voter rolls with the new laws are, have not been put into effect uh, on July 1st. I want to change that uh, by bringing online voter registration to Mississippi. I want to make sure that we can make it easier for folks to vote and not harder, um, and that we can change um, our footprint uh, within the state, uh, because quite frankly, Republicans uh, have made it uh, quite uh, their goal uh, of perfecting uh, the process of limiting people's access to the ballot and further restricting uh, our access to a free and fair democracy. And that's why I'm actually running for Secretary of State, is to change all of that. Uh, and we have a great um, slate of ticket holders uh, uh, with many positions up and down the ballot uh, that are deeply committed, poised, ready, and prepared uh, to lead this particular state. Uh, so, you know, whatever's happening, um, it's not something I, I wish to comment further on, uh, but I think we've got to be important. Uh, it's important for us to understand why we're actually running this race and why uh, we're proving to the people of Mississippi that it is, in fact, time for a change. 
we, we learned that Mr. Irving did indeed step down. How do you see that change in leadership affecting Democrats in the state? I won't come in any further on Mr. Tyree Irving. What can Democrats in the state do now to kind of bind together and, and bring back some legitimacy to the Democratic side now that we've seen a little bit of conflict from that party? I'll tell you what. You know, one thing I know for sure is that uh, I am running a race and others are running a race where we are truly working all uh, to win this particular race. Uh, now, for me, uh, that means that, you know, and we're, we're running our own race, by the way, of course. Uh, but for me, uh, that means that, look, we are working directly closely with Republicans and independents, not just Democrats. This state is not just made up of independents or Republicans or Democrats. We're all Mississippians. Uh, we all want the best for our future. And under the Republican leadership uh, and over the past decade, uh, we've seen record poverty uh, is for our children. We've seen a bad education system. Uh, we've seen a brokenness when it comes to not uh, being able to expand Medicaid in our particular state. Those are not just Democratic issues. Those are Mississippi issues. And that's why we want to help make changes. And this year in this election, we're not just talking to Democrats all over the state. We are talking to Republicans. We are talking to independents. It's going to take uh, being able to work with the Republican state legislature, because they do have a supermajority, and we will maintain that supermajority even after the, uh, November, uh, just by the sheer number of seats that they have in the House and the Senate. We're going to be able to work with those folks, and we want to work with those folks. Well said, Shawaski. A few days ago, June 27th, to be specific, uh, your camp released a statement um, in response to the internal emails at the Mississippi Democratic Party. Can you just kind of tell me, can you educate our listeners on what that statement was and why you felt led to release it? So I, I, I feel that, you know, Anytime something like that happens, it's a shock wave. It definitely shocked me. It shocked a lot of other people, too. And I just don't feel uh, that things like that should be released to the public. Uh, it's unfortunate that it actually happened. But it's a clear indicator uh, that we have to uh, be able to uh, conduct ourselves in a way in which we can maintain people's respect. Uh, so that is the basis of which that statement was released. Members of Mississippi's Democratic Party are concerned comments made by the outgoing chair Tyree Irving could hinder National Party contributions to campaigns within the state. Jody Brown is vice chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party's executive committee. Right now, it's my understanding we do plan to meet in the coming days. We do plan to work very closely with Chairman Irving on a transition plan and transition process. We have administrative committee that can stand in in the place of the executive committee when we don't meet and we have an excellent group of people on that committee that can do very well to make the transition process move along as smoothly as possible so we're just kind of looking forward to getting that process started so we can get back to campaigning i'm very excited about the fact that we do have many strong capable leaders on our state executive committee whether they step up and run as chairman or whether they just step up and rise up as leaders in the transition period, I think we're in very capable hands. And I know that there was some conversation with the National Democratic Party and that they had pledged some kind of donation. To your knowledge, has that changed at all? I don't have any current information about how that is going to proceed moving forward. I haven't been in on that conversation as of right now, I do know the National Democratic Party is still very committed to making sure they do what they can to get 
Democrats elected up and down the ballot here in Mississippi. So I have confidence that no matter how we move forward, the National Democratic Party is going to do their best to help our candidates here in Mississippi. When it comes to, like you said, transitioning and finding a new head chairman, will that process, will that voting process need to happen before Irving leaves on the 22nd? Or do you see a little bit of a gap between his exit and a new leader for you guys? That's ultimately up to the state executive committee. But I feel very confident that we're going to want that to happen very soon. We want to get right back to campaigning. We don't want to have a contentious process of finding a new chairman. So I know we don't want that to distract from the primaries that are coming up very soon. I feel like that's going to happen very quickly. But again, that's ultimately up to when the state executive committee agrees to set a date for it. What is the mood around the around the party right now? What is What are the conversations that are happening that you're hearing about where everybody's feeling, what everybody's saying? Just kind of give me a general idea of, of where the party stands in this current moment. Right now, people are just eager to put this behind us and to get busy campaigning again into the primary mood. That's the primary mood that I'm getting from other members of the state executive committee. Of course, there are, there's a mixture of feelings. Anytime you have a situation like this, there's sadness because we, obviously everyone, whether we voted for him or not originally, we all wanted to see Chairman Irving have a very successful four-year term. It is always disappointing when someone leaves on a lower note of what we'd hope to see. But at the same time, we're very grateful for his service and So many people are very grateful that he is putting the party ahead of other feelings and that hopefully we'll have a gracious transition period. And then, of course, there's also a little bit of excitement in that people do understand even when you're sad to see someone go, there is the opportunity for a new leader to rise out of the executive committee and set a new course and a new tone and a new path. So I'm very hopeful that the new person, whoever he may be, because we have to elect a male as African-American, I feel very confident to find someone that's going to set a good tone, someone that's going to set a good course for us in the coming days. Party members came together last night and voted to appoint State Representative Sheck Taylor of Starkville as the new chair. Coming up, when it comes to fighting utility bills, there's a big power imbalance between customers and companies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, relatively speaking. Southern Remedy. Kids and teens. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. Southern Remedy is Mississippi Public Broadcasting's premier show about you and your health, featuring doctors and nurses from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Each weekday at 11, we discuss different health care topics right here on MPB Think Radio. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio. Tune in every weekday at 11 for the full every Southern Every weekday morning lineup. at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. What would you do if your power bill skyrocketed from about $100 to $500? That's the question we're exploring in our latest utility bill of the month series. This time, we look at one New Orleans resident's year-long attempt to understand her chaotic power bills. Stephen Basaha reports on her journey and the steps customers can take to get their bills fixed. Step one, when there's a billing problem, give the company a call. See if they can work it out. 
That's exactly what Melissa Vegas tried when she got a text alert for a more than $560 power bill for her one-bedroom apartment. I'm like, oh, there's a mistake. Clerical errors happen. Let me call and figure out what's going on. There's no reason I should owe $563. Now, this is not the first big bill Vegas received. She moved into her roughly 900-square-foot apartment off Magazine Street at the end of 2021. And for the first few months, everything seemed fine. Power bills ranged from about 100 to 200 bucks. But then Energy New Orleans called to say there was a billing problem. They'd been estimating how much she owed because workers couldn't reach her gas meter. And turns out they were underestimating. So she should expect one big bill to make up for that. Not long after, she got a roughly $350 bill. That's fair. I don't have an issue with that. I don't know where they got that number from, but whatever. But she then gets an even bigger bill. And eventually that $560 bill. She thinks this should be an easy fix, maybe a 15-minute phone call. Instead, she's been going back and forth with Entergy for nearly a year. She says each time she calls Entergy, it's like spinning a wheel, leading to a different customer rep on the line and a different reaction. From apologetic... We're going to figure out what's going on. I'm going to do everything to help you. ...to dismissive. She doesn't know what I'm talking about. Digging through Vegas's account page with all the charges and reversals is like spreadsheet whiplash. She'd get hundreds of dollars in different charges, but then hundreds of dollars in credits, too, often in the same day. It looks like I own, like, four properties if you were to, like, look at my account. We reached out to Energy to understand what's going on with Vegas's account. The company told us they weren't going to get into the specifics for her individual case, but said a customer might see multiple charges and credits when the company adjusts old bills. For Vegas, it's not just the confusing bills, but how pricey they got. The expenses forced her to cut back just about anywhere she could. I'm at work in, like, shoes where the seams are coming off because I can't go clothes shopping. Now, Vegas's persistent calling did get results. She got a new gas meter, so they'd stop estimating her bill. She got some money credited back to her account, and her bills got cheaper. But Vegas believes they were still suspiciously high compared to her neighbors. Now, Entergy says don't compare your bills to your neighbors. Different lifestyles and housing and all that. But Vegas lives in a quadplex. Her three neighbors have nearly identical units, and she says they were charged just a fraction of the amount she owed for gas. But Vegas's back and forth with Entergy highlights a bigger issue. There's a huge power imbalance when fighting utility because they own all the equipment and have all the data. That's according to Jesse George with the Alliance for Affordable Energy. It's really difficult for the average person to challenge or you know, dispute whatever the, the company is telling them. So one step for tipping those power scales is to bring in some outside help. And one good person to turn to is your state's utility consumer advocate. Think of them like public defenders. They go to regulators and fight for the customer's interest over the power companies. And that sometimes includes disputing specific bills like Vegas's. There's just one problem, though. Louisiana is one of just eight states that doesn't have an official consumer advocate. Mississippi doesn't have one either. Now, in Louisiana, the Alliance for Affordable Energy does act like the unofficial consumer advocate. But George says it's not a fair matchup. We're facing a Fortune 500 company uh, that has all the resources and personnel that goes along with that. And we're just, you know, a seven or eight person organization. Is that really worse off, though, than like a one government like a, a bureaucrat or two that gets assigned to be the consumer advocate? Well, at least then you have the resources of the state behind you. <laughs>
Another step customers can take is going straight to the regulators themselves. For most of Louisiana, there's a state commission to file complaints with. In New Orleans, it's the city council. What we've typically told people to do is to send an email to their city council member and to CC the Alliance for Affordable Energy, uh, because typically that gets a response from the council. Here's a bonus step. Contact the media. After he reached out to Energy New Orleans, the company assigned someone to work on Vegas's case. That worker told her the most recent high bills could have been a problem with the new gas meter. She's since been credited hundreds of more dollars. Which I am appreciative of that. That is progress. But she's still not satisfied. That explains why she was paying hundreds of dollars for gas when her neighbor's gas charges were so much less. One thing she can't do is take her business elsewhere. I'm unhappy with my phone bill. You know, I can just, I switch to a different company, but you can't do that with Entergy. It's like you're stuck with them. Since New Orleans is like a lot of cities with just one power utility, switching companies means leaving town. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. This newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, railroad experts say folks should never try to outrun a train. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Many railroad crossings in Mississippi, especially on rural streets, don't have flashing warning signals. Mississippi's Department of Transportation is urging folks not to tempt fate when crossing tracks. We speak with Josh Stubbs. He's director of aeronautics and rails at MDOT. And Stubbs says Mississippians, drivers, should never try to outrun a train. There's a lot of railroad crossings in the state. There's about 2,100 public at-grade railroad crossings. And when a vehicle and a train collide, the train's going to win every time. Um, And so, you know, those opportunities are not going to go the the vehicle's way. So people need to be aware of the fact that they're going to lose that battle and the trains cannot stop very quickly. It's something that it's usually a preventable incident and that uh, a lot of them are driver behavior. Um, and so if people will pay attention at the crossings, at the railroad crossings, yield right of way to the trains, the goal is to get everybody at home uh, each night back with their families. You said trains win every time. How long does it take for a train to stop? Like if the driver sees the vehicle, why can't he stop? Generally, the, the idea that the trains travel metal wheel on metal rail and there's just not, there's no friction. It, once you, you need friction to stop the train, that, that interaction between the rail and the, and the wheel, it doesn't have the friction to stop, or stop quickly anyway. So that's kind of the, the bird's eye view of it. But, I mean, how far each one um, takes, in, any individual train takes to stop is going to be a function of its, its weight and its speed. We see some crossings where they're automated. We see crossings where there's a flashing red light and the bar comes down. We also see places where there are no crossings and no warning signs. Why aren't all railroad crossings, why aren't there warning signs and precautions at every railroad crossing? All right, so I'm going to tackle this in two pieces. The first one is going to be the lights and gates. The main reason that you don't see flashing lights and gates at every railroad crossing is the expense. 
um, on average, ballpark them at around three to four hundred thousand um, dollars, and that's just a really expensive um, project to go around at the 2,100 crossings in the state, 2,100 public at grade crossings in the state. Uh, we just don't simply have the resources to do that. So that's why you don't see them at all at, at every single one. Um, as far as what I'll call like advanced warning signs, those are usually going to be the the roadway authority is going to have jurisdiction over that. So it could be a local city or local county. Um, the vast majority of the railroad crossings on this state are in this state are on public roads that are maintained at the local level as opposed to MDOT right-of-way, MDOT maintained roadways. We can make sure that a local jurisdiction knows that they need to put signs or pavement markings out at the crossing, but we can't necessarily do it for them. Um, that is up to them. Some of them have budgets that simply don't allow it. Um, it you know, you, there's 82 counties and however many cities, it's just kind of a, each one's probably going to be facing different hurdles in that regard. Um, but, it's, but the, you know, the big one is the lights and gates. You know, we get to them as best we can, but there's just simply not the resources. Put them up at every single crossing. Okay. How do you determine which ones have crossing, um, have warning signs, and do we have more that don't have warning signs than do? When you say warning signs... What you just mentioned, the gates. So the FRA, the Federal Railroad Administration's inventory has, again, 2,100 public crossings. About 750 or so have lights and gates. And then about another 250 have just flashing lights but no gates. So that's kind of your, your rough ballpark numbers. The way we determine them is going to be how many trains are on the on that particular rail line, how fast are the trains going, what kind of traffic counts it has, like vehicular traffic counts, and then some of the available site distance and, and the crash if there's a crash history at the, at the crossing. Um, that's how we prioritize them, those kind of metrics. What should someone do if they come to a crossing, the gate is down, but you, they don't see a train or hear a train? All right, so that's an excellent question, and I'm, and I'm really glad you asked it. All right, so, and this is going to be a, an answer for a question that's even bigger than that. Anytime there's an emergency at a railroad crossing, the first thing you should do is look for this little blue sign. I want to say it's about four, to, four by six inches. Um, and it will have what is called a USDOT number on it, and it will be six letter, six numbers, one letter. Um, and there should also be an emergency notification number. And so, what you can do in that scenario is you call that one. It's usually a one eight hundred number. You can call it one one eight hundred number. Give them the DOT number, and you'll be speaking directly with the dispatch and the railroad. They will then, you know, issue or send somebody on their staff out to to address it. But the reason I say it's a bigger, it's a bigger answer is that anytime there's a there's a, an, an emergency at a railroad crossing, that's a great that's a great thing to do because if there's something fouling the tracks or something kind of in the way, the railroad now has that they know the issues there, uh, and they can do what they need to do as far as alerting the train if the train needs to stop. It, it's you're, you're you're speaking directly with the railroad, and so I get those kind of phone calls from time to time, and that's the first thing that I do is I go in, I try find the emergency notification number and the DOT number and I call the railroad directly. What do you do if your car stalls on the tracks? You, that's where you go back to that emergency notification number. Because um, in that scenario, it, if a train is in the area and, it, and you're on the tracks, if you can let the railroad know that, that there's a problem at that crossing, they could then get in touch with the actual train itself and, and stop. What about if you're literally on the tracks and a train is coming? I don't know if it's counterintuitive, but if you're in a spot where you're in a stressful situation, an emergency situation, it may not necessarily be obvious. Because, you know, the obvious thing you'd want to do is run away from the train. 
but that's actually the worst thing you can do because the train is going to push that car in your direction. And so what you would want to do is actually run towards the train at a, we say, 45-degree angle off the crossing. Uh, but the point being, you want to run in the direction of the train because that way any of the, um, the momentum will, will carry the, the vehicle or any other issue um, away from you. Yeah, I, I can envision if the train is pushing the car, it's pushing the car forward. So you don't want to be running towards more track. You want to be going in the opposite direction. All right. Well, Josh Stubbs with the Mississippi Department of Transportation, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Not a problem. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.